Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web 3.0. Today, I'm going to be joined by Manny Coates. And we're going to explore launching NFTs. He's part of an exciting new project that is not yet launched. And I get behind the scenes access to some of the amazing things that they're doing. And I think you're going to find it absolutely fascinating. If you're thinking about launching an NFT project, you're going to want to pay close attention to what we talk about today. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show. We've got some amazing content coming your way. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Manny Coates. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Manny Coates. If you don't know who Manny is, he is a venture capital investor in over 600 different businesses. He's a top 100 board apes yacht club NFT holder and a top holder of the Lazy Lions NFT. He's also the co-founder of the Bulls and Apes NFT project. Manny, super awesome to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, I am very excited about this show because we're going to explore what goes into a very sophisticated NFT launch. Manny and I got a chance to spend a lot of time together in Los Angeles. I got to meet nearly his entire team, and I'm just super stoked about what you're about to do. But before we go there, I want to hear your story specifically. Start wherever you want to start, but how in the world did you get into NFTs? Let's hear your story. Well, I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire life, pretty much. Started back in 3D animation. That's kind of where we're at now with the NFT stuff that we're doing, but started with that before it was even a super popular. I remember going out as a young guy, I believe I was about 20, 21 years old, 22, and I did a cash advance on all my credit cards, everything. That's the only way I could get the money to buy this hardware to get into 3D animation. As luck would have it, because I didn't really know what I was doing, I ended up building a magazine, a 3D uh, animation magazine, eventually sold that for a small amount of money, and then it got me into move on to my next business. How long ago was that? Are we talking like the 90s, or are we talking the 2000s? Yeah, I ended up doing this around 98, I believe, okay. and then I ended up selling around a year later in 99, moved to San Diego, and then I got into... Uh, I thought, you know what, instead of focusing, which right now I always say, focus, focus. I was like, let me start two businesses at once. One will be a dot-com, which nobody knew what the heck that was in 99 for the most part. And then the other one was a physicals product business, which was a protein supplement for bodybuilding. And then uh, one didn't do well, one did really well. And yeah, so the protein supplement company, I ended up getting a cease and desist from the World Wrestling Federation, you know, the whole Kogan guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I had to stop that because my... You know, the internet was something I was using yet. So researching IP, all that was just not something that I even thought about. And my name, I had Titan Sports Nutrition was the same as, I think it was very similar to what they had, Titan Sports something. I ended up uh, not doing that. 
focused on the dot-com, built the largest humor site in the world at that time, built into a bunch of other properties, eventually started getting into software development, ended up selling that to my business partner, moved into the mobile game space, which I thought was super exciting. So the whole gamification of everything, the psychology of gamers, that was super interesting to me. Did that for a few years, uh, or a couple of years. And then the Amazon space came about, you know, the whole selling on Amazon. And that was very intriguing to me because at this point when we were getting in, not everybody was ordering on Amazon, right? Right now it sounds weird. Everybody orders from Amazon, right. right? Anything, toilet paper, you name it. Back then it wasn't the case. So I started a podcast and I, that's where I met uh, one of the co-founders of the Bulls and Apes project, which we're in now. He was my co-founder with that company. So we uh, created this podcast. It was his idea. It was a genius idea because we we're able to give back a lot of value. And I wanted to do things different. I mean, you're a podcaster. You probably understand this. It seemed like everything that was out there in terms of information was like there were people that were saying, man, you could be a millionaire. It's super easy. Look at me. These are all my cars and my house and all that stuff. And I, and I was going through and my experience was different. It was, it's not easy. And you got to grind and you got to hustle and give up your, your, your friends are going out this weekend. You're not going out. You're going to be working hard. And so I think that transparency came through. People really started following. And then we transitioned that into a software business because I was creating my own tools on how to sell on Amazon. People were like, well, how, how can we gain access to these tools? Do you have a competitive advantage? So we eventually made them available. We started with, I think, just three tools that were free. And then by the time we came in with the fourth tool, we started charging a monthly amount for it. So we became a SaaS company overnight. And then from there, it went on to you know, a dozen tools and then two dozen tools. And then fast forward to 2019, we had a sizable offer for our company. We exited the company, uh, my business partner and I, and we still own equity in it. It's Hopefully it's going to go public next year. It's, it's over a billion dollar valuation. So we're like, we're super pumped and happy. And then after a couple of years of just sitting here and going through COVID, you know, kind of living the retired life, I was like, you know what, this whole NFT thing is going crazy, right? It started last year, I think is where it kind of got on everybody's radar. And most people, as you know, when you go to the, when you went to NFT LA, there's hardly anybody that's been in it for more than a year. So we were like, let's get into this NFT space. But if we're going to do it, we don't want to be an NFT project. We want to do something that's going to change the space. We don't need the money. So let's do it for legacy. Let's go back three years from now. Someone asks us, why did you get in there? What, why did you do this? We can say, hey, you know how everybody in the space now offers money back guarantees or how all the founders are now docs? We started that. That would be cool. That would be a nice scenario for us to, uh, to get through. Well, and I would love to explore a little bit about if your, your journey into NFTs as well, if you don't mind maybe zooming in on that a little bit. Obviously, you successfully exited the majority of your equity out of this software company, and thus you were in a pretty decent cash position to be able to make some investments. You know, Why did you choose to invest in the, in the NFTs that you chose to invest in? Was part of it learning? Was part of it opening doors? Like, Talk to us a little bit about that, because there's probably other founders who could learn a little bit from the strategy that you employed there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I'm not just investing in NFTs. I'm not just investing in any one thing. I'm, I'm pretty diversified, right? So I have real estate. I have some NFTs. I'm in the stock market. I have crypto. I also have a ton in venture capital, angel investing, things like that. That part of me, that's kind of what I've been doing for the last two, three years real heavily is investing in startups. And I have a system, I think, that I use that really helps out with things, kind of reduce the number of duds, right? Because there's when you're doing venture capital, there's a ton of losses typically. But I ended up, when I got into the NFT space, I kind of looked for what was out there that I thought would be good. And Board Ape, Board Ape Yacht Club is, to me, the company that no matter where the market goes, like if we're just on a slide towards the worst, right, 
I feel like they'll probably slide along with everything else, but they'll rebound. Like if 99% of everything went away because there was this apocalyptic NFT crash, they would survive. And if you're holding those, they're going to go up. And there's only 10,000 of them. You know, there's, you know, what, I don't even know what the number is, but there's millions of millionaires and it's becoming a status symbol, like to own one of these things, a club. You saw Madonna just recently get into a ton of different people, celebrities are getting in. And so when I got the chance to, to get in, I didn't get in super early. I got in like six months ago. I, I ended up paying what it, I think it was like 40 something ETH per, per ape. And I got eight of them and uh, I want to get some more. And I do think personally that the floor on these, I don't see any reason why if, the, if things keep going, why the floor wouldn't go to astronomical numbers, right? That's not financial advice, just what I think. That's why I'm collecting them. And then other projects, you know, I look at founders. I make sure that the collection is, or, you know, the, the team is docs. I'm looking at their roadmap. You know, meeting them in person is great because you can, you know how it is. You can feel a vibe. You can know if you kind of like that. 100%. Yeah. And so that's important, but I'm not invested into a lot of different NFTs. I have a, a handful that I look at. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm doing. So let's talk to the entrepreneur listening right now that maybe wants to start an NFT project. Why should they start a project from your perspective? Because as you stated, you're not necessarily doing this because quote unquote, you need the money. There's clearly some advantage to the right kind of person starting a project? And what do you want to say to those that are thinking about starting a project? What's the upside in your opinion to starting the right kind of project? Yeah, I think that's the key phrase, the right kind of project. Right now, everybody is coming out with an NFT project and they're all the same. They're all saying, hey, you know, we've got cool art and we have tokenomics and we're going to be in the metaverse and we have gaming and we're going to be on clothing and the list goes on and on and on, right? Uh, So how do you differentiate yourself? It's super hard. And usually the ones that make the most noise are the scams, right? The guys that are really pumping and dumping the stuff, they have the money, they know, they know what they're doing and they, uh, they create this crazy FOMO and uh, it creates, uh, creates a lot of noise and, and it's hard if you're doing things the right way to gain traction. In terms of why, for, I can speak for ourselves, for, for myself, um, again, it comes back to that legacy. So one of the things that is sorely missing in this, there's two, two things that are, are missing in this space right now. And I, I kind of, I think of this kind of like uh, the, dot com or internet birth back in 99 right like in the beginning there was everything that we did was like is this legal can we do this there were no laws for anything that's where the nft space is right now it's wild wild west and people are just doing all kinds of stuff the sec can't keep up it's like all crazy and so that's creating a lot of rug pulls right rug pulls being you know people the founders are saying all this cool stuff and then they take the money and, and they're gone and they leave the project just sitting there dead or there's just straight up scams. They just shut it down right after they get their money. And a lot of this, almost all of it, is because founders aren't docs. By docs meaning, you know, they're, they're anonymous. So when you're dealing with the uh, crypto monkey 24, you don't know if this is a 13-year-old kid with no business experience that hired some people off of Fiverr and created art, or if it's somebody that's, you know, really knows their stuff. So I think for us, we wanted to make sure that we came into the space and we doxed ourselves. So you know who we are. I'm all over the internet. I've done podcasts. You know, we've exited business. There's news pieces. You can actually see me on video. And we also want to do something where we reverse the risk uh, for people, right? Right now, if you get into a project, the risk is all on you. And so if you get into something and you spend, you know, let's say 0.2 Ethereum on something, and then that goes sour, you're left holding the bags. With us, we're like, well, in, in real life, almost everything you get that has any kind of value has some kind of guarantee. You don't like it, you return it, right? can't do that in the NFT space, right? And these are collectibles. So we've said, what if we use the technology, the Web3 technology, it's there, use it for what it's there for. And one of the things that you can use this technology for 
is to eliminate the middleman, right? So you can actually set it up like we did, where the money from our mint goes into a smart contract, it's connected to a wallet, we're not touching it. And if you ever want to refund your, get your NFT back into our hands and your Ethereum back into yours, you don't have to beg anybody, you don't have to plead, you literally go back, you tap a couple buttons and clicks, and then it happens. And that's using the technology. So for us, by doing this, if we're super successful, like we think we were gonna be, people copy success. So they're gonna go, man, they did this. They ended up having this money back guarantee. They dox themselves. So in order for us to have that kind of success, we're gonna do the same thing. And if you multiply that over time, maybe a year from now we look back and that's a thing, right? It's like, why would we invest in a, a non-doxed person and a project that doesn't have any kind of guarantees when there's so many that have it? And it all started with, with these guys that you know offered half a year. And you know how it is, half a year in the NFT space is like five years in real life. It moves so fast. I want to dig in on some of the stuff you're doing a little bit more, but I want to go back to the question of why. Imagine it's a couple of years down the road and let's assume your project is as successful as you envision it to be. You know, what do you want to say to the next people that are going to come up behind you? Like what's the upside from their perspective? Cause not everybody's uniquely positioned like you are to do what you're doing, but what do you want to say to the future entrepreneurs who are thinking about doing an NFT project? What's the upside for them beyond the obvious, which is money. Why would they consider something like this? Why would they consider doing an NFT project? assuming they do it the way you're going to be doing it. What, what's the upside in your opinion on this? Well, one of them for sure is almost celebrity status. It's weird, right? When you're doing this and you're the face of the company and you're putting stuff out there, you're building a community, okay? And it's like, like somebody going out and buying a, an oil diffuser. You don't know who the founders are. You don't know anything about them. With this, you're engaging with your community. They're getting to know you. You're going to be going to live events. It's fun, right? You're going out there. You're having your you're conferencing, networking. You're going to parties. Um, it, it, when you start doing this, you're going to be known. So if you're not comfortable with that, certainly don't do it. But a lot of people are like, they like that. They want to be known in the space. Once you open those doors, once you have a following, it opens a lot more doors. You can then reach out to your network and say, hey, you know what? Um, can anybody introduce me to this person or to that person, right? You and I have talked. We've, we've done this kind of thing, right? Right. It's, it's super amazing. So that's one of the things outside of the, the money thing. You will lose sleep and hours. It's, I mean, it's busy. It's just like any business. But yeah, that's one of the big things. Also. I think there's going to be a lot of, for people that are coming in after us, just be creative and think of ways that you can actually come out with entities. It doesn't have to be photos and pictures and stuff. Maybe you have something that's super cool that's related to the film industry, or it's related to some kind of whatever it is that you know, your project, whatever it is. And maybe you're into rodeos and you've done something where these mint passes can do really cool stuff with the rodeo uh, organization, whatever it is, come up with something unique. Don't do what everybody else is doing. We haven't talked about our, all the things we're doing, but you know, we've come up with new things and I think that's what's important. One of the things that I, I'm part of the Lazy Lion community and part of the World of Women Galaxy community and a couple of others, and one of the advantages that I think helps entrepreneurs is the loyalty aspect of the community when you do a project right is off the charts. You know, you and I have been entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs for decades, but it's one thing to have customers love your software or love your conference or love your experiences, it's another thing to have them naturally evangelize for you and, and essentially change their picture. You know, in some cases, literally moving their picture out of their profile into this thing that you've created. It kind of creates a level of loyalty that I've never seen before. And I come from the social marketing world and it's all about that. And I think that's a huge, huge thing. With fewer people, you can accomplish more with the right kind of NFT project. It just is kind of crazy. 
I just wanted to throw that over the fence. Now, you know, I want to talk about some of the biggest mistakes you've seen because I know you have made investments and you've watched these communities. And obviously, you already mentioned these synonymous founder problems, right? Where, where you don't know who the heck these people are. And some people look at bored apes and even lazy lions and they are not doxxed. You know what I mean? They are now maybe, but they might look at some of these more successful collections and say, well, they did it without... And the same thing with the Ziki, which is one of the top collections, you know, so, but do you believe that we're moving towards an era where the, those days are coming to an end and, and you, they have to know who the founders are? Is that kind of where I'm hearing you go? And, and if so, what else are some of the big mistakes you're seeing specifically with these projects that people could avoid? Yeah, uh, I do think that, that there's going to be big changes in the space. I think that, first of all, regulation is going to come in. You have way too many projects out there that are just straight up securities, right? Uh, they might say they're not, but when you start providing different levels of staking that generate income, and you know more, probably better than I do, when you start making all these claims and you're going in there as a founder saying, guys, we're going to 10x this thing by the end of the month, and you're, it, it's just, there's going to be problems. And it might not be a problem for a lot of the smaller guys, but if you do it right and you become big, then you're going to be a target and they're going to make an example of you uh, out of you. So I think we're going to be, we're seeing a pretty big sweep coming through at some point. Um, it's going to have to happen. I think people are going to get tired of the rugs. It's already starting to happen. You know, there's been a number of big scams and rug pulls in the last two months, and that's kind of changed uh, things. People are very hesitant now with uh, how certain things work. So, so yeah, that's coming down the pipeline for sure. Uh, I think, and I hope that Docs Founders is one of them. I hope some kind of risk reversal is another one. And then I, and to answer your other question, like what are the mistakes? I think for us, and this has happened with any business. Is not starting off with the right team, right? So you got to have that right team in place early on, right? Because it's going to get crazy. If you start to take off, and like we're doing right now, it's nuts. Like, you, you know, we're, we're having to quickly now go out there and, and find more people to, to fill all the, the holes that we have that we need to, uh, you know, to cover. So um, that would be the biggest thing, I think, is make sure you have the right team. I also hope, and I know this can't be done with everybody, but in real life, if you're going to start a business, you can't start it with zero dollars, right? You got to raise some capital somehow, whether it's from your own bank account or you're going out there and you're raising the funds. In the NFT space, it's not like that. It's like you have somebody, they, they, they create this thing, they launch this mint, they're hoping to get to mint, and then they're going to use those funds to actually finance the business. And if they don't, if that doesn't do well, the business dies immediately. Got it. Because there's no money there. Yeah. So I would think, yeah, that people would, they're going to have to start coming up with pre-funding. Like we pre-funded our first two mints, right? So we don't, we're not relying on those funds. And that's great because now that allows us to take the funds from the mint to actually create something new in this space, which is the six month money back guarantee without being able to, you know, without pre-funding, we wouldn't be able to do that because we'd be relying on that mint money. Was there a project that inspired you other than the board apes when you were working on this? Because I think we talked about one of the projects and what was the name of the project and what is it about the project that specifically inspired you just because I think that'd be a fascinating thing to hear. For me, when I got into this, I was looking at NFTs. I ran into Bulls on the Block, okay, um, BOTB. And I thought it was a super cool project in terms of the art style. It just resonated with me, right? You talk about people changing their, their profile pictures. To me, I really liked it. The pricing was really low. They were going through a transition with the founders. I ended up meeting a lot of really cool people in there. The community was super awesome. Because I had the funds to do so, I was able to go in and buy a ton of these. I ended up buying hundreds of them. I became the largest holder. I am still the largest holder because I haven't sold a single one of them. Because of that, I was brought on to the council. They were trying to resurrect the project. Essentially, the, the founders had they had rugged it. I, I don't want to call it rugged, but they they were young 
programmers that made all this money, didn't know how to run a business, and then they just basically disappeared and left the project to die. Um, so they were trying to resurrect it, figure out how they could get control or get the IP from the, the founders. The founders sounded like they were kind of interested. And so I was brought on to try to help facilitate that. And actually, our project, when I started this, I was actually, I started well before they finalized everything, which they finally did, I think, last month. But I wanted our project to actually be the continuation of that project. And we couldn't make it work. You know, they just missed deadline after deadline. Their attorneys weren't working. And, and finally, after months, we're like, we got to move on. So we ended up moving on and we started our own project. We tweaked a bunch of stuff. We added all of our great ideas that we had for this thing. And it's unfortunate because I, I love that project and I still own hundreds of those bulls. And yeah, I'm still hopeful that they're going to turn it around and, and uh, it'll be great. What about cyber Kongs? I feel like you brought that up as well, that this was something that you were inspired by slightly. What's the story on that? Yeah. So what I liked about cyber Kongs, I don't own a cyber Kong, but they have a breeding mechanism, which I thought was cool, right? So essentially if you own a couple cyber Kongs, you're generating bananas and then the bananas you can use to actually create a baby Kong. And then the baby Kong, ah. yeah. So you're minting a baby Kong out of thin air and then there's value there, right? Somebody wants it because it's part of that collection. Now they did some things that I would have done differently, but but still, it's cool. They were their their pricing was crazy. So when we started doing ours, we're like, okay, we want to gamify this. We come from the you know a video game background, right? We're doing mobile games. How can we make it fun for our token holders, like or for our NFT holders, where you know they're coming in, they're buying our NFTs, but at the same time, just by holding them, it's generating tokens, which is what happens, and then those tokens can then be used along with your NFT bulls. To actually generate new things, right? And eventually you can generate teen bulls, which then lead to god bulls. And god bulls are like a super rare, there's only 500 versus the 10,000 in the collection. So if you can get to that point, the more bulls you have, the faster you get there, you can actually create something that's that's valuable that people want. Well, let's dig in on what you're doing with your project because I got a million questions related to it. Bulls and Apes project, one of the first things that you did, which I think is very unique. And, and the launch date by the mint date, by the way, everybody is April 29th, 2022 for people that are listening to this before launch. Let's start with the full refund. This seems to be very unusual. You talked a little bit about it earlier. Talk a little bit about the mechanics of it. And so far I heard you say that you're somehow writing it into the smart contract, but talk a little bit about why you feel like this is so valuable and kind of what you hope this project you're doing with this refund will do as far as impacting the industry. Yeah. Thanks for giving me an, an opportunity to talk about this because I think it's super important. And again, I've said this multiple times on the show, we're hoping this becomes a standard of some kind. Maybe people start doing unlimited money back guarantees or one year, but we're starting it at six months. The way it works is when you actually mint our token, you're paying 0.17 ETH is going to be the whitelist price. When we first come out, we haven't announced the, the public price, if there's going to be a public price, but when you get that, those funds move into a smart, it's through the smart contract going to a wallet that's controlled by the smart contract. And so those funds are locked up. They're not going into our personal accounts, right? And so what's happening is we allow people from day 31 to day 180, so up to six months out, to come back as long as you haven't done two things. You haven't sold it or moved it out of your wallet. And number two, you haven't used any of the tokenomics, any, you know, pulled the tokens or mint anything, then you're good. You have a money back guarantee. You can go in connect your wallet at our site, click a button, and then it'll ask you, are you sure you're about to give up all this stuff? And then yes, you, uh, you would, the, the NFT would go back to us and your ETH that you used to mint, the 0.17 would go back to you. That's how we're doing it. And what's the hope? Why is this so valuable? I think I understand it, but I want to hear from your, 
lips, why this is such a unique thing that you're doing and what you think this is going to do as far as getting people to get into the, the program. There's a lot of new people. There's a lot more new people coming into the space than there are people that are already here. Right? Coinbase is going to be announcing their, their NFT marketplace. And then you're going to have millions of new people that are going to come into the space. And they're not as sophisticated as a lot of veterans that are here. They know. They can, you, you just know going into projects, you can eliminate 90% of the scams just because your radar is going off. Somebody that's new doesn't know. They're reading all the, the, you know, the marketing and the FOMO. They're going to buy in and they're probably going to lose out. So once they start reading about this and seeing about all the different scams and rug pulls and things that are out there, they're going to be hesitant to jump into a project. So by having a money back guarantee, we're giving a little bit of peace of mind to people that are wanting to you know, dip their toes into the space. So um, I think it's not as valuable. I, I noticed when uh, we were at the conference and we were talking to a bunch of people, the people that were just starting out that were new love the money back guarantee. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to tell my friends. Or the next day they're like, I just told everybody I knew and they were, they're all in. Then the people that are like, oh, I own, you know, 10 board of apes or 20 cyber Kongs or, or, or whatever, right? They're like, eh, I know what projects I want to get into. So it's not as big for them. But I think for the millions of people coming in, it's humongous. It's huge. Yeah. And I think the advantage is that someone might be willing to try to make a bigger investment if they know that if for whatever reason it goes down below the mint price that they have minimized their risk, right? And that's kind of a big deal. And I'm sure that's part of a, a big value proposition to somebody who wants to get in on a project, missed out on some of these other big projects and feels like this radically reduces the risk, right? Because, you know, who knows what the price of Ethereum is going to be, but I would imagine you're going to honor if the price of Ethereum goes to $5,000, it really doesn't matter because you're holding that Ethereum in a special wallet and they're going to get it back no matter what happens to the price if they want it back. That's what you're saying. That's a huge thing for new people. Yeah, yeah. It, the Ethereum price is, is irrelevant, right? Because it's being locked into a wallet. So whether it goes down or it goes up, you're getting the same amount of Ethereum that you put in. So if you put in, you know, if you buy a ton of, uh, of our bulls, whatever Ethereum you paid, you know, it's not a dollar thing, it's the Ethereum, you'll be getting that back. So if it's doubled in price and you, for some reason, want to return your bulls, you'll, you know, when you decide you want to cash out, then you'll, you're better for it, I guess. But we're making it hard for people to, uh, you know, mentally to want to do this because when you're going to return it, you have to decide, do I really want to forego getting the tokens that are available? And for example, the re there's a reason why we set it uh, uh, from day 31 to day 180. It wasn't just random. At day 31, so you have a month in, if you have two bulls, they're generating 10 tokens a day. So that would be 600 tokens in a given month if you have two bulls. That's exactly the number of tokens that you need with your two bulls in order to generate you mint your first thing, which would be an incubator. The incubator is gonna, has a little baby bull in it. And then with a few more tokens, you'll be able to actually generate your team bull. So if you're going to return it, you have to think, do I want to return and get my, you know, my, my ETH back? Or do I want to mint something new that's probably going to be pretty rare, right? Because it's in the very early stages and you might be able to sell it. Or maybe you want to hold it and turn it into a team bull, which make, makes it even more uh, desirable because you need team bulls in order to actually make god bulls. So it's going to be interesting. I don't know how it's going to play out, but it's going to be super cool to see the price discovery of the, the entire network. This is logically my next thing, which is your gamification. So what I'm hearing you say is that each bull is going to be accumulating tokens and those tokens can be essentially cashed out after the first month and any time into the future. And those tokens can be used to generate new NFTs, which start out as an incubator, if I'm hearing you correctly. 
And then eventually somehow those incubators turn into teens. And this is where I want to talk about gamification because your background in the gaming space is coming in kind of handy here. Help people understand why if they make it fun, that actually is an important part of what you believe is going to be in the long-term success of this project. Who doesn't like fun, right? <laughs> we all like fun. So the more fun you can make something, the better. We have on our website at the bullsandapesproject.com, there's a token tokenization page that actually has graphics that that spell it out. Because when I'm explaining it, sometimes it seems complicated. But when you see, I'll, I'll actually describe it. If you have, you know, you have a bull and you have tokens, right? You can create an incubator. And then if you go to the next line, it's like, if you have an incubator and you have tokens, you can create a teen bull, okay? And if you have the teen bull and you have tokens, then you can create what's called a merger orb. And that's the, that's the first step to get to the gods. And then once you have the merger orb, plus some additional teen bulls, plus some tokens, then you get the god bull, right? And the whole process, you're it, it, you're what's doing what's called burning. You're burning the the tokens. You're burning the the incubators and the the orbs and the teens and all that. So you're actually reducing the supply of those things in in the collection. So if there's less of something, right? Typically values go up, right? Because there's less of them, it makes it more valuable. And then that just helps people get to the the end goal. And we're not stopping there. That's just we're talking about mint number one. Right. Before you go to mint number two, I want to get some clarifications on this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As you create these new NFTs, are they going to be all part of the same collection or are they going to spawn a new collection? Because this is kind of important just to clarify, like, you know, you're going to have your original 10,000 bulls. Are these other things going to be all in the same collection or is it going to be new collections that are going to be spawned from this? I'm just curious. Do you understand what I'm going? Uh, that's a fantastic question. There's three in, in mint one, there's three collections. So the original bulls plus the god bulls will go into one collection. Okay. The teen bulls will go into it, another collection. And then the artifacts, I guess you'd call them, the incubator and the orb will be in their, their own collection. And we do that. There's Everything's strategically done. It's set up in a, in a specific way because if we were to take, let's just say that for some reason, incubators are worth 20% of what you know a regular bull is. We don't know what the numbers are going to be, but let's just, as an example, it's worth less. And we put them in the same collection. Suddenly you drop the floor price right. on that project. And some people can just go buy those on the secondary market instead of using tokens if they really wanted to, presumably, right? These. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so, I mean, it takes, well, we'll get into that in a second, but yeah, it, it takes a certain number of particular assets in order to create the next one. You might not want to wait months, you know, to, to generate the tokens to keep doing this yourself. You might say, you know what? I've got some extra ETH laying around. I'm going to go buy the teen bulls so that I can get to the God bull faster. And that 100% for sure is going to happen. And I'm super curious. I want to find out what happens on day one where people can, on day 31, technically, when people are minting incubators and they have enough tokens to immediately turn them into uh, teen bulls, how fast do they last if someone sells them? I have a feeling that the whales are going to come in and just suck them all up. Well, what I'm fascinated about, and this is the interesting thing about your project, is if people begin to see that some of these artifacts, as you're calling them, and these teen bulls have a lot of value, they could recoup some of the value they made originally in the program is the hypothesis here, right? So therefore they're gonna to wanna to hold because these things become more valuable and then these god bulls are presumably gonna be the most valuable uh, and they're gonna be part in the original collection of the 10,000 so that it's gonna go up as those god bulls are added to that collection is what I'm hearing you say, right? Yeah, the final collection will be 10,000 bulls and 500 god bulls, so 10,500. The teen bulls, everything's fully minted and we've burnt all the, the teen bulls to generate the god bulls. There'll be 10,000 in that collection as well. And then um, eventually there won't be any merger orbs or incubators that are that do anything. I, I think there's a time limit. Uh, I believe it's one or two years. I'll have, to, I'll have to double check that where 
at that point, they are, they're no longer doing anything. I believe it's two. And then the God Bowls, yeah, there's 500 of those, right? So it, they're super rare. Like, and they generate twice as many tokens just by holding them. Everything we're doing with Mint 1 will lead into Mint 2 because that's a big problem, Mike. Uh, so one of, one of the things that happens is a project will come out with their second Mint. And then everybody in the first one dumps it so they can get into the second one and you crash the floor on one. And we thought, okay, how do we set this up so that when we do Mint 2, it actually increases the floor of Mint number one. And we could talk about that. I, I'm sure there's going to be questions on that. Yeah. Tell, I mean, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, like it's called Bulls and Apes. So I don't know what Mint 2 is. Is it the apes or what's the deal <laughs> yeah, here? Right. You're super good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the bulls are obviously the first one. Apes are going to be the second one. We haven't worked out all the details of, all, of the, the characters yet for, for apes. We're hoping that'll come out about 90 days after Mint for the first one, the bulls. Um, and it's also, there's the word project inside this whole thing, the bulls and apes project. And so we're thinking two, three years out from now, right? Where are we going to be with this collection down the road? It's not just bulls and apes. If you read the story, there's a, there's the lore on our website. There's this creator. Essentially, it's a, a soup. Like think of humans a million years in the future. They're you know they're they're not even human anymore, and they can control matter and all stuff. And we can travel wherever. They basically are creating these bulls, and then they're creating the apes, and then they're going to be creating other things. And then so all of that transitions from mint to mint to mint, and um, it is even going to transition into a physical card game that we have that's similar to I guess maybe like a mix of Magic the Gathering and Pokemon, okay. which is something we're going to be putting out in Q4. And it's going to be super exclusive, like a Founders Edition, very limited numbers that will only be available if you have the tokens. So the tokens will actually be able to be used uh, in, in our economy, essentially, and not just for the digital stuff. Okay, I, I want to talk about, and I don't know how much you can talk about, but you know, it sounds like you're building more than just a game here. Are you able to talk about who the ideal target for this project is and, and a little bit about why someone might want to get in on a project like this, because I'm sure this is appealing to people that find games fun, but my gut tells me there's more going on here. What, what more can you share? Yeah, there's a lot more. So long-term again, um, you know, we're trying to build up the IP. So we want to be, who knows where we're going to be, whether there's shows, whether there's merchandise, whether there's whatever, right. In the short term right now, what we're doing is, we, the whole name, Bulls and Apes Project, the word bulls, right, and apes, they're financial terms, right? You're bullish, right? You don't want to be bearish. I don't know if we'll ever have bearish, but you want to be bullish. You're aping into something, right? Uh, you want to be a whale. You know, the wolves control everything, right? So um, what we're doing is if you hold our bull NFT for now, right? Later on, it'll be other NFTs. It's essentially your membership card into our wealth building, live your best life, program that we're putting together. So it's a community and that community is going to do things that are going to help you live that better life. So for example, one, I'm a venture capital person, right? I, I do a lot of angel investing. I have access to deal flow. Okay. So as long as we have our community and they're accredited, we have to make sure they're accredited. And if now we can show them how, you know, what the process is to do that, to make sure they're qualified, we can bring deals. I just invested in OpenSea. I invested in MetaMask. I'm mentioning those two because they're very very popular in the NFT space, but I've invested in SpaceX in the past. I invested in just uh, hundreds of different companies. So I know specific people that will get a small sliver of a big project potentially, like they're raising 20 million and they say, Hey, we've got, you know, a million dollars. I'll take my cut. Right. And then I can say, well, you know, there's still 80% of it left over. 
why don't we bring it to the community? You guys want some of this. I'm not the middleman. I'm not doing anything. I'm not setting up a fund. It's not financial advice. I'm saying I'm putting my money in because I think it's cool. You guys do your own diligence on this. And if you're interested, reach out to these guys over here and you're investing directly with that company. That's something that I didn't have. That wasn't available to me three years ago or four years ago. So we can do that. Or we have another guy who's going to be part of our, our you know, this, this club who's really big into uh, Bitcoin mining, right? He's, he's killing it in that. I don't know anything about Bitcoin mining. I own Bitcoin, but I don't mine it. But he's going to be talking about that. Um, you know, you come in, maybe you have your superpowers with, uh, with connections. It doesn't always have to be about financial stuff. It could be, you know, man, I know somebody that can get you first class tickets at, you know, whatever price, you know, like at, at economy rates, because we're part of this network, whatever it's going to be, we're going to build this up over time. And the bigger that we get, the better that network effect, the less reason you want to get rid of that NFT, because again, that's your past. Once you have, you don't have that, you're not part of that, that membership, that cool, the cool club there. One of the things that you did, we were talking about was partnering with other NFT projects. I would love you to talk about why that's so important when you're in the pre-launch stage. And cause I think that's something that, that, that is benefiting you in this particular launch. And I think people could learn from it. Yeah, I think for us, we want to align ourselves with good communities. So are the founders docs, right? And if they are, and I've met the founders for, for a couple of the communities that we're, we're actually doing stuff with, you know, do we like the community? Do they see like they're going to be the type of community that will work well with what we want to do? Like what I just talked about in terms of the, you know, living your best life, that wealth building. Um, you know, if you're getting involved with a community that you know, where, where the mint is 0.000, you know, super, super cheap and, and people are flipping them. It's probably not the right community. By communicating with these guys, by uh, doing collabs, you're exposing your project through their community. And then I know it's a, it's a delicate situation because they're in a position of power, right? Because they've already launched. They're here. We're here. We know where we're going to go. Uh, we have that traje the, the trajectory, right? So all we can say is, hey, you know what, we'll we'll give back twice as much as you're giving us. You know, we're going to make it uh, worth your while if you help us out. And and luckily, you know, when you go to these events, these conferences and you meet people, I think they, they can see who's genuine. They can see where, you know, where the project's going to go and, and they help out. And so, yeah, we're doing I know it'll be over by the time people listen to this, but we're doing a, a big mega space today that involved a lot of these communities coming together and, and promoting it. Yeah. Talk to me about that a little bit. Tell people kind of I know you've been actively working on it today. You're doing a three-hour Twitter spaces is my understanding, and that's another part of the launch strategy. So talk to us a little bit about what your plans are with that today and what you're hoping to achieve with that. Honestly, I don't even know how long it's going to be. I know They say three hours, but we're going to go until uh, until we're done. We're it's going to be long, right? I mean, it, it's going to be long, but what, 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 are your, what are you guys going to be talking about? What's the goal here? Tell us a little bit about this because I know you've got giveaways and stuff. I think people could learn from this as well. Yeah. So the communities that we're doing whitelist collabs with, basically we're giving away some of their NFTs. We're giving away ApeCoin. We're giving away Ethereum. We're, we're giving away uh, custom paintings, like kind of like right here, stuff like this, where if you have, you know, that's one of my apes. If you have a, uh, an ape or any NFT, essentially, you can have this, this person create this for you. Um, she's super talented. And then we have we're, we're going to have guest speakers on there talking about security. Like, how do you protect your NFTs? There's so many people that click the wrong thing or don't have Ledger wallets, don't even know what a Ledger hardware wallet is. We're going to have people talking about that. And then we're going to have our entire team or a large portion of our team come on and just talk about everything from what the project is about. What are the benefits? Why do you want to be involved in this? What's the money back guarantee? Why do we select this kind of art? You name it, like anything. But what's our backstory? Right. Like you were asking, like, where do we come from and how do we meet? You know, all that the founders meet and whatever. I think 
everything's going to be laid out on the table. We don't try to hide anything. Well, and I love that you're doing this on Twitter spaces because the good news is they are recorded and someone will be able to go back and listen to this, this long thing if they want to go deeper. And I would imagine you'll probably link to it inside of your discord community as well. But I see it as a great opportunity to get people who are already excited about your project into a live kind of experience, right? Where you're going to be bringing them up. You're going to be answering questions from the audience. And I think this is brilliant. I think it's super, super smart. You're going to be doing this on April the 7th as of, which is when we're recording this. And the the mint date is on April 29th. So that gives people a chance to check you out, check out your project, decide if they want to be in on it, try to get on the whitelist. You also mentioned the team is really important. You started out with, I believe, just you and two other people. What kind of wisdom would you give to people if things start blowing up? Like, what kind of team members do people need to be thinking about when they're doing a project? Yeah, wow. Um, I've been, I mean, I've been lucky recently in terms of picking the right founders. Our personalities just work great, right? Usually you got somebody that's more alpha than the other person. If you have two alphas, they're always button heads, and then you have problems. And in fact, that's why a lot of these NFT projects end up dying is because the founders after Mint can't align they decide to go off and do their own thing. And then the project dies. Yeah, I started off with actually hiring an entire team of 3D artists. That was my background. Remember, I mentioned that in the beginning. So I was already working on all the art. And then I ended up meeting one of the, we have three founders, myself, Guillermo Puyol, and Anthony Mangiello. Anthony Mangiello was part of the council for uh, Bulls on the Blocks. We met him there. And when everything was just going terrible, like, you know, in terms of trying to get the founders to work things out with us, we connected. And that's why we did that. And then Guy, um, he, I've worked with him at Helium 10. We've turned it into a, Helium 10, by the way. I, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, if anybody wants to really look us up, that's the company that we exited. And that one, yeah, you know, he's just a great marketing person. It's, I don't know. We just get along so well. I've had partners in the past where you just butt heads and it gets stressful and you don't want to be stressed out in business because you already have a lot of stress with the business. So I don't know. I, I don't have anything I can say like, well, and you, but you've ended up adding more people. It sounds like, like, what did you realize? Like you've had to staff up obviously because your project is getting closer to launch. Like what other kinds of people have you had to add? I mean, my guess is marketers mostly, is that what we're talking about or community managers or what kind of stuff? Yeah. So we definitely have community manager. We have a ton of mods. We needed a very, very good project manager. Somebody can, cause I'm, I'm good with ideas. I'm terrible with like details, right? I yeah. <laughs> you need an ops person, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. So Anthony is is uh, you know operations. He's really good with that. He is more the marketing. We're, I'm also marketing. I'm more you know zoom out kind of big vision, mar- you know marketing and seeing where we're going. And then a lot of marketing people. I mean, we're still bringing on people. We we're talking to people yesterday, like, hey, you know, do you have people that you you can reach out to? Connecting. That's the biggest thing. If you know somebody that can introduce you to somebody, who then introduces you to somebody, that network effect is amazing. Yeah, I think we're going to continue to keep hiring from this point on. You had mentioned earlier that you're going to put these at whitelist. For those that don't know what that means, that just means the pre-approved people at 0.17 ETH. And you don't know what the public mint price is going to be, but you kind of hinted that in an ideal world, you sell this whole thing out on the whitelist. And then if anybody wants in, they get in the secondary marketplace. So is that really part of the strategy? And do you recommend in an ideal world from a a launch perspective, if you make the right partnerships and you get the right people, ideally you sell the thing out on the whitelist and there is no public mint. I mean, is that the goal with a lot of these projects in your opinion? Or is that your strategy? I mean, like, you know, talk to- From a financial perspective, short term, it's not ideal, right? Because obviously the public mint is going to be more expensive, right? Let's just say 
the, the whitelist is 0.17, the public's 0.25 as an example. Right. You're going to make substantially more going public. If you do like a Dutch auction, it starts high. You might actually sell out at one ETH, right? And then you're, you're, you're making like uh, six times or seven times more than you would have. For us, again, the money wasn't the main thing, the main goal for the launch. What we wanted is we wanted to make sure that we're going to change the space. And that starts with having the right community. So we started initially and we pivoted. We've, we've, we've tweaked and changed things. When we started, we were like, you know, hey, you can get a whitelist if you're super active in our community. You know, you're constantly coming in every day and talking to people and, and you know, you're retweeting, you're going out there and, and really promoting us. And then we started realizing a lot of people will do that just to get on the whitelist anyways, but they might not be the ideal uh, community member, you know? And so if you can go find a community that has already done that and they're amazing, why don't we just get those people to come on? So we started thinking, huh, we haven't seen anybody go out and do that and just say, hey, we'll whitelist your entire community if you guys show up on this space and, and just get there. So we're doing that with very select few projects, and we think that's going to work pretty well. To answer your question, will we sell out on whitelist? We hope so. If not, or people don't show up, you know, they've been given a whitelist and they don't show up, then whatever we have left over will then go to a public mint. And then we'll make a little bit more money that way. But that's We'd be super delighted selling out on, on whitelist. First of all, Manny, this has been really instrumental, uh, very, very fascinating. And thank you for answering all my questions. If people want to check out the project, who knows if whether or not the, you know, if it's going to, they might have to wait until, you know, it goes onto the secondary marketplace. Where do you want to send people that are listening right now if they're interested in checking out your project? Sure. Yeah. If you go to Twitter, the account is at Bulls Apes Proj, P-R-O-J. Or you can go to the website, bullsandapesproject.com. You'll see us there. And, and that's the, the website's cool because that has a link to the Discord and Twitter and everything else. It has all of our imagery, the story, the lore. So it's, it's all there. That would be the place I'd start. Yeah, say that URL one more time. Is it bullsandapesproject.com? Yep, it's bullsandapesproject.com. So those words. Awesome. Manny Coates, thank you so much for coming on the show pre-Mint. And I know you got a lot going on with your time. I, I really appreciate it. By the way, if people want to connect to you on the socials, do you want them to connect you on Twitter or is there anyone, or would you rather they go to the project specifically? Do you have a preferred place to send them? Yeah. I, I mean, on Twitter, I'm Neo Ape Official, but we have our LinkedIn. Again, we're fully docs. Our LinkedIn profiles, everything's on the website so they can find out more. They can reach out to anybody on our team. Yeah. Manny, thanks again for coming on. You were awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash C14. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. Let your friends know about this show. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may Web 3.0 continue to change your world. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.